At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions, and we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today. Well, welcome back, everyone. Tonight, here we're here in Ottawa. I'm at, I am with my colleague, Celine Gallas. Celine, how are you doing? Doing so good today, William. How are you? <laughs> Pretty tired. It was a long day hearing lengthy <laughs> testimonies mm-hmm. by Transport Canada witnesses, by CBSA, Canadian Border Service Agency uh, witnesses as well. Uh, well, one witness from CBSA. So it was a pretty long day. I'm here to my left also by Eva Chipik, lawyer for Freedom Corp. Eva, how are you doing? Great, thank you. Yeah, so I think that you were sitting in the stand the whole day today throughout uh, the whole procedures. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on what your general impression of the day was, and then we can get into what went on yesterday during Commissioner Brenda Lucky from the RCMP's testimony. Yeah, well, honestly, today I wasn't too incredibly impressed with the witness panels we had. We had first CBSA, the president of the Canadian Border Services Agency, and he said that they have an intelligence and an uh, enforcement agency. But under cross again with Brendan Miller, it was confirmed that uh, he has no say in whether or not the Emergencies Act should be invoked. So scratch that, on to the next. Mm-hmm. And then we had Transport Canada, and we heard a lot of um, projections and lots of talking from the Transport Canada about fear of investment and decline in um, how much was being the, the border was being affected by these blockades. Lots of ifs, um, what ifs, and all these not real committed answers and then under cross-examination with Brendan Miller like he sets everybody straight so quickly which is what I love and so first thing he showed was there was already an email that was sent to Omar Omar Al-Jabra I hope I got that right well we always call him Al-Jabra but it's Al-Jabra okay Marco Mendicino and (laughs) Melanie uh, Jolie and you know what like to some extent i you know, I'm with Brendan about these people's names. Like, they don't talk to us. I think they they're in this like bubble. Like, why should I care about their names? I'm I'm getting to that feeling today. I'm a bit frustrated, yeah. so it's yeah. coming out. Um, so they're emailed on this email saying that arrive can is causing insane problems and pressures on the border and here we have these two high officials from the Transport Canada going on for two hours about how the blockades that went on for what three weeks not even in in uh, Windsor it was a few days it was a few days it was a few trucks we're not stupid like let's look at the real evidence and not your fears and what you thought would have been and he even said that oh we were able to secure billion dollar investments from these four companies (laughs) so clearly like if we actually look at evidence today it was just you know I'm getting to like my boiling point here that these bureaucrats are, I don't know who they're being servants to. It's definitely not the Canadian people. So for what I was saying is there was clear evidence that arrive can was causing a lot of the issues yeah. on the border blockade uh, yeah. border uh, problems. Yeah. Not the protesters. They had no evidence to justify it. And then um, there was also second thing that came up was stats and you could see that it didn't actually change 
Yeah. And, you know, no recognition for it. So they're just up there with some talking political talking points, zero evidence. This is an inquir- inquiry. This is about evidence. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. It was it was exhausting. Yeah, honestly, it was very exhausting. And, and um, I kind of apologize to the people that were following my live tweeting today, but like to go and to try and explain all of the the lengths that they were going to to absolutely confirm all the things that we know and then backpedal and just give mm-hmm. absolute irrelevant information for hours was insane. So I didn't want to just pollute my my uh, my live tweets with these are the statistics that didn't change, that won't change, mm-hmm. that haven't changed. These are all of their excuses. And when um, uh, last name. The, the the chief uh, economist for Transport yeah. Canada, when he was speaking on and on and on, like I even saw that the lawyers were cutting him off because he was just going on endlessly. He just, he was taking all of these tangents and just diverting from the topic at times. It was exhausting to watch yeah. and to try and pay attention. It was very, very dry. Um, and as you just said, Brendan Miller uh, set them straight pretty fast, regardless of the fact that he had like uh, this much time in comparison to the other lawyers that cross-examined those two gentlemen today. Yeah, there's one thing that Eva said. I just want to to show exactly what she was talking about. When you were talking about the ArriveCan app and the borders, the issues at the border, if we can pull up the tweet that I just sent exactly. So here's the evidence that was shown um, in front of the committee today. If we can zoom in on, I believe, the third paragraph. It states, in custom, if we can just zoom in on the third paragraph, if possible, um, in customs basis figures for February trade activity by a road transport at these border crossings fell 8.8% compared with February 2021, with the Ambassador Bridge and Coots crossings posting the largest declines. However, and this is the important part, increased trade activity was observed at other crossings near the ones that were blocked, partly offsetting the decline in traffic. So, uh, and finally, overall, the blocked border crossings <laughs> appear to have had little impact on the aggregate values of Canadian imports and exports in February. Yeah. I mean, this shows that the fact that the borders were blocked didn't have a lot of impact. And it says it says it itself. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. They weren't really blocked. They were they were temporarily mm-hmm. blocked in one part they usually kept a lane open and and beyond that there were other boarding crossings that they always went through no mm-hmm. one actually stopped people from being able to to go uh between the border crossings this came out how many weeks ago from multiple people i mean even the mayor of coots mm-hmm. uh andrew um Dilkins, he admitted openly that uh, you could get through, you know, they had negotiations going. And if you actually look at the transcript, um, I think what you'll see is there was a lot of, we felt like it would affect the borders. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we had two hours of that and you could set that straight in in two seconds. Two with, seconds, um, yeah. That document. Yeah. So, and then one other thing I have to say that's getting to a bit of my boiling point is we heard so much about resources, lack of resources. I'd like to see what the budgets are for Ca- Transport Canada, CBSA, mm. RCMP. Mm-hmm. If they have billion dollar budgets and they can't figure oh, out course. how to deal with a three week protest with, of Canadians, and let me tell you what is free talking to the protesters talking to canadians i yeah. think we've just gone so far we're so overregulated. we've got way too many agencies we nobody knows what anybody is doing everyone's pointing the finger at the other guy yeah. and here we are uh, 
And what are they complaining about resources? So they just want more and have no answers. That's where I'm at today. 100%. And like it was also openly admitted that there was a lot of uh, this was uh, what's his first name? Keenan. I just I live Michael Keenan. Michael Keenan. I live tweet only using the last name. So (laughs) Michael Keenan and first name of the other guy, Drea. Christian Drea. Christian Christian Drea. 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 They both admitted that all three levels of the government 100% did not collaborate with each other and were in utter chaos, essentially. Um, So why didn't they go and talk to protesters? This was the, even before the convoy arrived in Ottawa, even before the the Coots blockade took place, even before the one in Windsor took place, 100% what was being strewn across the internet was that, we're coming. This is what's happening. This is why um, they want to talk to a federal government employee, anyone from the federal government, anyone. Because as I, as I recall, that was because it was a really safe bet based on how our country is regulated, that the provincial government would follow through regardless of what the, the federal government uh, mandated or didn't. But there was never a, a stream of dialogue that was open. Literally, can you like... I honestly can't even fathom that nobody was like, oh, we really want this to stop. Oh, we've got all these toolboxes and all these things in our arsenals that, you know, we're going to use, we can use them. No one talked to anybody. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like if, (laughs) it's like they couldn't even see what was going on. Like they were just blindly running around pretending like they had no options to exhaust except to literally hit the panic button which is the Emergencies Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, to- I'm getting very frustrated as well, sitting yeah. there and being like, you know, I want to bring the news to people. I want to be able to tell that side of the story. I can't wait for next week. And to, to your point, I think week. a little bit more to Eva's point as well. You know, that's the same government that has trouble running passport offices. <laughs> it's not, it's, uh, when we talk about federal incompetence and government incompetence, oh, yeah, that's the yeah, same yeah, yeah. government <clears throat> that has trouble properly running simple passport office. That's our Canada right now. Um, but... What are we talking? Exhausting resources. And I think that's a great segue into, you know, I promised yesterday we would talk about Brenda Lucky. I think that's that's a great segue to Brenda Mm -hmm. Lucky's testimony. Um, We did not exhaust all of our resources. Brenda Lucky yesterday stated that, um, let me just find the exact quote. She, She stated that it is her view that we have not yet exhausted all the resources available and that the Ontario emergency measures would provide more resources. Brenda Lucky said that what what does it say to you as a lawyer who's trying to show how it was not right, it was not justified to invoke the Emergencies Act, that a commissioner of the RCMP goes out, one that loves Justin Trudeau, goes out and says it is her view we had not used all of our resources. Yeah, well, it, who cares what I think as a lawyer? As a Canadian, I think that's just wrong. Mm. Um, she did say that. And then nonchalantly during her evidence, she just says, yeah, I guess we could have talked to the protesters. Like, yes, <laughs> just yes, fists, exactly. Like, oh, it, well, when you're saying that over and over, we have all these toolboxes, and even she was saying de escalation is very important. So, why didn't you enact any of these tools that you have at your disposal? Are Canadians really that scary to talk to? They were in the room with you yesterday, mm-hmm. just talk to Canadians. Yeah, no one is. Yeah, no one's saying anything, and they're still really not talking. I mean, they're under oath, but I mean, Brenda Lucky, if you didn't see most of her testimony or any of the the the, the clips that we've cut, she really, for the most part, forgot to recall very general information mm-hmm. that is her job to be able to know and to understand. 
This is the commissioner for the the RCMP in Canada. How is this going on? Yeah. Well, you know, she didn't talk to people. And then it turns out as well that nobody asked for her opinion on February 13th, which is incredibly telling and actually frightening. Yes. Um, because if you're we know 100% CSIS said that there is no threat to justify the Emergencies Act. And then on February 13th, when there was a call and Brenda Lackey was involved, nobody asked the top police officer for Canada for their opinion. Mm-hmm. very telling and she didn't volunteer to say her opinion either and she's an rcmp commissioner she said i wasn't asked and i decided not to say anything that's very telling of the type of person she it's is also- just to just to move on to a little bit more from brenda lucky because we only have you on for 13 minutes and then we it's going to be you and i is going to talk about today's testimony um let's show clip number one brenda mm-hmm. lucky answering one of my questions i had a chance to ask her two questions afterwards and then i'll ask you some more of your thoughts um, from a legal perspective of Brenda Lucky's testimony. So let's just take a look at clip number one. You said that the Emergencies Act was the safest option, that you couldn't have done what you did without it, but you didn't say that it was necessary. Though. Is there a reason why you didn't say it was necessary? It's not up to me to decide if it's necessary or if it meets the threshold. It's about, will it be useful to law enforcement? Is there any gaps or any problems if we were trying to enforce it? I thought it was useful. I thought it was needed. Uh, now, obviously, I have the benefit of hindsight. We wouldn't have been able to do the enforcement actions as safe as we did. We wouldn't have been able to keep the people at that protest as safe as they were. And it wouldn't have been concluded in the short time frame it was if it wasn't for the emergency. Oh, but just- the audacity, really, in hindsight. Like, you're not capable of making decisions that that aren't even, you know... It, there was a buildup to the EA. So we're being led to believe at least it wasn't just something that was like, we need to decide in three seconds if we're going to in- invoke this emergencies act. This was talked about before, prior to actually, it, I, I know for a fact, they talked about it um, on the 10th of February between the, the deputy ministers meeting. Um, so in hindsight, like you had days to think about this. I'm sure Justin Trudeau had had from the moment he heard about the convoy to the 14th to to think about it and and he still went went forward with it. So why do we have people in a position of leadership um that aren't capable of making calls when it is their job to be able to protect Canadians to the best of their ability and she's I mean she showed her incompetence but why do you think that this is happening in this country? Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about that, but I, just watching what she responded to, it was like a circle of information. Mm-hmm. It was not clear at all. She started with the right answer saying that it's not for her to to suggest or justify uh, whether or not the Emergencies Act is necessary. And that's correct. CSIS is the only one that is should do that. But then when she goes on and saying, well, it was helpful and it was needed, well, n- why didn't you talk to the federal government about that on february 13th because we know you didn't and how does that affect anything when you're you're not the one to make the call so what is she saying hindsight is 2020 when i rewatched that clip just now it actually became more confusing it's like she's trying to confuse the public she's trying to confuse canadians and that is so improper on so many levels again i'm taking it back to the opp officers and the commissioner of the opp you should get straight clear and competent answers from policing authorities i have no idea what she said after watching that the second time of course well that's that's all that that's that's all their tactics <laughs> you you say a bunch of words and you don't mean anything we see liberal politicians do that all 
all the time in all of their press conference. That's Justin Trudeau's favorite tactic. But looking back at Brenda Lucky's testimony, I, I'm curious about that, though. You said that it was only CISA's responsibility to decide whether or not the Emergencies Act was necessary. It was only their responsibility to look at whether or not the threshold under Section 2 was actually met. So just out of curiosity, what is everyone else doing here at the commission if it's not CSIS? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that's what we're getting at with some of Brendan's questions, <laughs> uh, because that was the last question he had to the CBSA agent. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's why I said next. That is a very good question. And he did put that to somebody, I think, yesterday. Uh, he was like, so was there any agency or any enforcement um, uh, agency that suggested that you needed the Emergencies Act? I really am having a hard time. And this is why I'm feeling a little bit bad for Canadians that, again, looking at the budgets of these departments <laughs> and agencies yeah. and I don't know why they're here. I don't think they know why they're here. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think this has just become a big, <laughs> a big, um, what's that, the board game where like you're trying to figure out the mystery and you don't know like who did it. What is that? Clue? Clue. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish that the Canadian government would get a clue, by the way. Um, but seriously, like in regards to to her testimony, it's very confusing, yeah. right? It's very confusing. And then what she says off record is even more confusing. I feel like my life has become kind of like a psyop in a way. <laughs> like this, all this information from these people that I, I grow up and I, I learn that I'm supposed to trust because they're gonna make the decisions to protect me. Um, I don't feel very protected as a Canadian. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to leave it on a super negative note here. I, I do want to leave it on a positive note. And what I do mm -hmm. hope that this um, actually brings to light for Canadians that we just have to be way more involved in our government, in politics, so that we don't get blindsided like this again. Because now I think this is, I think this inquiry is great so that we could really see what, where the competency is, where the incompetency is as well. And we know we have to really take part in these democratic processes and be involved. Yeah, just to continue on Brenda Lucky, let's show clip number two, which is another part of my testimony, uh, not my testimony, sorry, my interview with uh, my interview with her during the media scrum. Another question that I that I asked her, let's take a look at that. You said during your testimony that you didn't know if you needed a court order to seize uh, the bank accounts as freeze asset. But the act wasn't seizing, right? No. The act was freezing. Oh. I don't know if right. that changes anything. I think that's a legal question. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not uh, sure. Is there a reason why you weren't aware that you needed a court order to do that? No, the seizing, I, I knew that you needed a court order. I wasn't sure <laughs> on the freezing because we've never done the freezing of accounts. We Obviously, when we seize accounts, that's a different aspect. But the freezing was pretty new to me and I haven't I looked at it any further. And that goes a little bit to what you were saying earlier about her not knowing that you... You were supposed to have a court order to seize bank accounts, freeze assets. Well, you're the top in law enforcement person in Canada. Mm. So it's it's really embarrassing that you don't know what the law is. <laughs> I think that's the whole thing, embarrassing. I think that's the word to describe uh, Brenda Lucky. And there's also another thing that came out during her testimony. She's not the one that said it, but it still came out during her testimony. There's a picture that I sent about notes that were taken, if we could put that put put that up on the screen, uh, notes that were taken about what Bill Blair said during perhaps a meeting, perhaps a call. It's a note where you see some mm -hmm. yellow uh, highlighting, some blue highlighting. All right. Right. Let's, let's zoom in on the, on the yellow highlighting. 
because that's the important part. And you might have some issue reading what is being what what is written, but I was able to 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 depict it. So if we can zoom in a little bit, all right. So it's Minister Blair. So that's what Minister Blair said. Minister Blair say, it says despite throwing Ottawa under the bus, praising OPP for the work at Windsor, which probably means the Windsor blockades, the Windsor protests that were there. And when he refers to Ottawa police, uh, when he refers to Ottawa, he means the Ottawa police. And that was made clear during the testimony yesterday. So, I mean, what are we supposed to understand from that, from, from what Minister Bill Blair said about throwing Ottawa under the bus, throwing the OPP under the bus, effectively throwing Peter slowly under the bus and praising the OPP? Well, yeah, you just see that um, these people aren't working together. So here they are, and you said this, Celine, earlier, um, nobody's working together on any levels, yet they're all crying for more resources. Maybe the OPP didn't. That might have been one of the agencies that hasn't. But everyone else is, is saying that. But it's really cl a clear lack of um, confidence in one another, working together. And again, it's just shameful for Canada to have to witness this on a national scale. Yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree with you. I'm not sure what else, honestly, I have to add to it. Like, I, I really do entirely agree with what you just said. It's... I stand with you there, yeah. Yeah, is there another thing that we haven't touched on uh, regarding Brenda Lucky's testimony that you think would be relevant for our viewers at home uh, to know about what she had to say? Or do you think we did everything? I think we did a pretty good analysis. Yeah, so time. basically showed <laughs> the incompetency, showed an embarrassment that Brenda Lucky is. She did it all herself, let's yeah. be honest. She really did, <laughs> Brenda yeah. Lucky goes to bed early. <laughs> we also learned her that. Her bedtime's 10 p.m., yeah. Uh, Keep that in mind, yeah. She went to bed early during what was supposed to be a national threat. An threats, national security. movement. Yeah, what? exactly. What is going on? And no one's working together. All right, from today's mm -hmm. testimony, Brendan's cross-examination, we saw at some point... So he was supposed to cross-examine the witness first, the, with the two witnesses first. But then as he was coming on the stand, the government of Canada objected to him cross-examining the witness. I, I don't think that we have the clip, but I know that's what happened the first time, which is why then he cross-examined afterwards. Mm -hmm. Why did that happen? Okay, so um, the rules that the commission has set up is that two days before you're cross-examining a witness, you're, being, you're asked to put the documents... Um, you have to email the documents that you're going to put to the witness, possibly. So two days before any witness, we're doing that by five o'clock. And the, the commission has given a bit of leeway on that. Um, but what is incredibly frustrating here is that the government of Canada has been dumping. They've been doing a data dump on all parties. And there's been thousands of documents in the last few days, <clears throat> excuse me, being uploaded. I have to talk. <laughs> okay, we can switch. Let's yeah, we can, get you, we can get you some water. So, yeah, so basically, there were a lot of documents that documented that the government of Canada, sorry, sent to all the parties extremely late in the commission. From I, I think what was seen it was close to 3,000 documents that were sent pretty late. Which is crazy. So, so that's a lot of documents. Yeah. And then Brendan Miller, from what was said by the government of Canada today, while um, the cross examination, while the initial examination was taking place, he sent three documents to um, the other councils. And then the government of Canada complained basically that they, that they did not have time to review the documents with the witnesses um, and that they needed time during the break to review the document. So Brendan Miller had to <laughs> refrain himself from cross-examining uh, Michael Keenan and Christopher uh, Dea 
at first yeah. and had to do it. I think it was the third one to do it. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, to be entirely honest, I had to step away momentarily. So I'm very sad to have missed Miller time today, the second time around, at least, because mm-hmm. I mean, there, for the most part, we've seen really Rillo has been very impartial. But what I've noticed lately, and let me know if you agree with me on this or not, but um, it seems like recently there's been a lot of like, cutting back time or not being as lenient I've noticed with with providing um convoy corp lawyer Brennan Miller with a little bit of additional time where he's been very lenient in a lot of other uh, situations with the other lawyers and granting them five sometimes ten minutes or more I've noticed so what do you think about yeah. that well you know what I found surprising is that the government of Canada has no issue once again sending three thousand documents <laughs> to the other council like that's crazy on remembrance day yeah. but they have a lot of trouble receiving three documents that from my understanding were already made to the public they were they were open sources documents mm-hmm. they had trouble with this three document but were totally fine yeah. with sending three thousand of them uh, and they claimed that this was breaching the rules that this was breaking the rules what brendan miller said so i thought it was a little bit uh, hypocritical and i thought it was a little bit funny all right Definitely. let's go to a quick yeah. ad break when we come back we'll go further into today's testimony and we'll continue to discuss well this joke that is the emergency act inquiry. Let's take, let's take a quick break. Freedom in the year 2022 for me, folks, it means the return of Rebel Live. Now, Rebel Live is an annual event we used to put on before the man, or was it the COVID Karen, made us shut it down during the pandemic years. It is a freedom fun fest, if you will. All the freedom fighters you've grown to know and love over the years, they're going to be speaking at the Toronto and Calgary events. The Toronto event is on November 19th. That's a Saturday. And it will feature the likes of Dr. Julie Panessi, Archer Pawlowski, Tamara Leach, and all your favorite rebels, including yours truly. I'll be the MC that day. Sheila Gunn-Reed and, of course, the big boss man himself, Ezra Levant. Now, Saturday, November the 26th, we're bringing Rebel Live to Calgary. And uh, those aforementioned speakers will be there. And Sheila will be the MC for that event. You don't want to miss it. It's an all-day freedom fest. I know there are certain would-be conservative leaders that think freedom is overrated. You know, we don't think that way. I don't think you think that way. So if you want to get a ticket, please go to the website. They are going fast. Go to rebelnewslive.com. That's rebelnewslive.com. Get your orders in. And as Billy Redlines used to say, folks, don't you dare miss it. Don't you dare miss this one. All right, we are back. Our apologies for the little technical difficulties. Um, so where were we at? <laughs> what what were you saying? Well, I was just talking about how DOJ is dumping documents on us <laughs> and then I couldn't talk anymore because <laughs> they're keeping us up late at night all day, all the time. And then like we were saying is even one of the documents that Brendan wanted to cross-examine on today was delivered to us today. And then they're saying, you're breaching the rules by doing this late. And it's like, it's a lose-lose situation for us here. But yeah, this is a tactic that organizations, unfortunately, (laughs) like the DOJ does. Wait, so one of the documents that they were complaining 
but having received too late from you guys, they sent it today. And yeah. then they complained about you not sending it in advance. Well, maybe that wasn't the one specific they were talking about because that would be a little bit silly. I see. Um, but there were a couple <laughs> other ones at the same time that just were put together. So yeah. I, I don't think that they were um, arguing specifically about that one, but the other ones that, and they were just a, a bit more resource um, based. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a secret hidden document. It was a yeah. public document yeah. to help contextualize the questions so the fact that take they take offense on this it's just a bit silly again i'm just going to use that word so it's a bit more professional <laughs> i think it's a nicer word than other others would use um just before we let you go um i, I feel like from michael kean's testimony apart from a cross-examination by brendan miller it's my opinion that we didn't hear a lot of things in relation to the invocation of the Emergencies Act in terms of um, why it was necessary to invoke it or why it was unnecessary to invoke it. I don't know what you think of that, but can you give us a quick rundown of your general impression of Michael Keyens and Christopher J.S. testimony? Yeah, well, um, like I was saying, there was just a lot of um, fear talked about and um, f fiction and not fact is where I'm going with it. So... Um, there was a lot of discussions about how investors may have worried about it. And in the end, like, I think they were there because of the economic impacts. But again, under mm -hmm. cross-examination, it was clear that, uh, and, you know, using a little bit of common sense, you would think that a protest of a, a few days yes. with a few trucks are not going to cause massive disruption. How about closing down the country for two years? <laughs> how about an Arrive Can app that uh, the U.S. doesn't, use how about look at what's actually causing the problem rather than throwing and pointing fingers at a few people that are just frustrated with yeah. the government 100 percent, yeah 100 yeah, percent. it really i mean arrive can is is huge huge and and uh, to only be talking about it at this point in regards to the borders and it's really, really, it's a miracle. Like I said, that this is going on still. Like it, it really is. It, it's a, it's a big blame game, and I'm tired of hearing these bullies. Uh, like <laughs> honestly, though, like they're. Yeah. It, it seems like, in a way, it's my opinion. Like uh, the some of the people that have testified were, let let's say, it was, let's say it was purposeful to invoke the Emergencies Act without any necessary evidence that would actually provide a, a reasonable reason to um, use that invocation of the Emergencies Act. Um, but let's say it was purposeful, right? So it looks like to me, in my opinion, that we have some people that were probably in on it and some people that were bullied and maybe did or didn't um, consent to being a part of it. And, and some people that <laughs> like today, I was like, why are you telling me about your job description? I don't care what your job is. I cared what part you played in the invocation of the Emergencies mm -hmm. Act at the public inquiry mm -hmm. that we are here to understand of whether or not yeah. this was necessary for literally hours. I, I mean, there's just a few times I just sit back in my chair and I was like, whoa. Yeah, this I think, is crazy. This is really crazy. Yeah, I think it happened to all of us. And as we said, if if none of them had any clues mm -hmm. about 
threshold of section two of the CSIS Act. Wasn't that provided in their initial statement? And the commission's like, yeah, let's hear you for hours actually though, and give <laughs> cross-examination yeah. lawyers three seconds yeah, but to counter your five hours yeah. of speaking. And, and not only that, if it's only CSIS again, talk to it. Why isn't it only CSIS that's satisfying? I think yeah. it's pretty funny to think about it that way. But anyways, that's where we're at. And I think there's a few things that she said that is going to be great for us to talk about later. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Ev, I hope that you're, you're feeling better <laughs> right now and I look forward to having having you on again yeah doj stop throwing documents at us <laughs> all right shout out hear that Great. shout out <laughs> um let's throw to clip number three uh, uh, uh a clip of what was said today in relation to marco mendicino and the coots border blockade let's take a look at that um so in the email that we showed you earlier, which we don't need to pull up again, but is the email where you advise Minister Mendicino um, uh, in regards to the Coots port of entry, do you recall that? Yes. And you also advised him that at 11.05 p.m. local time on February 14th, the RCMP had successfully cleared and opened the north and southbound roads at the Pacific Highway for the resumption of traffic. Is that right? That's correct. And so the traffic flow resumed uh, and there were very few protesters remaining on site, which is what you advised him of. Yes. Right, you reopened on February 14th, but because the protesters had cleared on February 13th. That's correct. Right. Honestly, his tests, we, we didn't hear a lot, we didn't, hear a lot of things in relation to the emergencies act directly that would justify or prove that the emergencies act was necessary to be used from neither of their testimony no you know and i remember saying that a lot too yeah. today i was like there's so many points you guys where I, I was like both of us it was like we know this already why are we talking about this why are we asking mm. questions when we've already we've either confirmed uh, these these people's statements. I mean, prior to obviously, all everyone got to see them. So why are we still asking these questions that we know the answers to? Yeah. Why are we going over details we've already confirmed that we already know about? Why aren't we talking to people that will actually provide us some answers? And again, just like we were talking about with Eva, if CSIS is the only intelligence body in Canada that can determine whether mm -hmm. or not the invocation of the Emergencies Act is okay. Um, <laughs> this whole thing should have been ceases from the beginning. Yeah, really. it's, pretty, it's pretty funny when you actually think about that. Like if they're the only ones that Seriously. can actually say whether yeah. or not it was justified. I mean, I don't believe, well, as Eva said, it is just that. But if you look at section two, it's like it has to be a threat to national security that can include <laughs> espionage or sabotage. Yeah. That can include, as we saw earlier, um, intent of committing violence mm -hmm. or, um, you know, plotting to commit violence, inciting someone to have the intent of committing violence. It's all things that we're able to find in a public record. But yeah, it's pretty funny when you think about it. If CC is the only one that can actually tell you about the Emergencies Act, why aren't they the only one testifying? And there's another thing that Eva touched on it that you touched on as well, the Arrive Can app, a disastrous app. I think that the consumers are not, are, are not calling the, app, the Arrive Scam app. Or Arrive Can't. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it, a disastrous app that was installed by... Uh, Justin Trudeau's liberal government. Mm -hmm. And we saw earlier, I'm not sure if you were there, but we saw earlier during Brandon Miller's cross-examination, there were American officials that were saying that they were worried about the impact the Arrive Can app would have on cross-border or on cross-country trades. 
Well, no kidding. The U.S. officials did not want the ArriveCan app, and the ArriveCan app caused a lot of traffic, a lot of you know difficulties when it came to yeah. trading between Canada and the United States. It wasn't just the truckers; it was the ArriveCan app. No, 100%. It was a huge conglomerate of mess-ups from all three divisions of the Canadian government. And then when you bring in a foreign government, we've got our neighbors, right? We got we got people from the U.S. We have officials there trying to figure out what's going on. And our government can't seem to, to get it together, won't, won't even talk to the people mm-hmm. that are, are literally proclaiming their discomfort, their distaste, um, and, and all the, the horrendous things that, that we really, we all went through them. Yeah. We really did. And so to pretend like there's nothing wrong and you have no idea why there's a massive public outcry going on in your country is the most ignorant thing that I've ever witnessed. And this this inquiry is a direct reflection of that. Oh, for sure. Why are all these people testi- testifying if they have no part in the invocation of the Emergencies Act? Really, what is this at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. What is this? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, no. Like, 100%. are we here to find that out instead? Like, Yeah, and you know, Brendan Miller was the only one that I found was actually putting out relevant information today. Yeah. You had him. Uh, honestly, the documents that he that he put out were extremely interesting documents. And when we talk about the borders and Brendan Miller, it brings us to mm-hmm. clip number four, mm-hmm. uh, Miller time, where the former president of the Canadian Border Service Agency t- told the commission that the CBSA this this uh, agency did not receive any info about threats to Canada from the U.S. intel agency That's during right. the Freedom Convoy protests. Let's take a look at clip number four. It's fair to say that throughout the protest, and at least based on the disclosure, the agencies in the United States, such as the FBI, etc., Uh, they did not provide the CBSA or the Five Eyes any form of information with respect to any threat to Canada. Is that fair? I wouldn't be aware of that exactly. I think you'd probably better talk to those uh, like um, communication security establishment and or CSIS to find that out. Right. But nothing uh, was brought to your attention as the president of the CBSA uh, with respect to any for, sort of threat to Canada coming from the United States during the protests. Is that fair? That's correct. Right. And so, of course, you never relayed such information uh, to Cabinet or to any of the political executive because you weren't given any. I believe that to be true, yes. And, and it's I think fair to say that... Even, even if it pro- shows... All right, are we back on? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Even if it shows that he had no clue whether he had no authority to determine whether or not it was actually met, the threshold was actually met. He knew that you could hear it. He's like, no I have one, no part in this, dude. Yeah, but no one told him that it was no CSIS agent, no CSIS official told him, yeah, as the former president of the CBSA, mm-hmm. not a single CSIS official told him that the threshold was met, not a single one. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. I, I bet I bet none of you guys are surprised either. I mean, you can even hear it in his voice. He's like, yeah, <laughs> really, I feel like if I can analyze his uh, his his tonality as well as his micro expressions and his body language, the way he's answering the question so point blank without even needing to to think about what comes out of his mouth, he seriously is like, I was left out of this. I have no idea why I'm here. Um, why I'm providing this testimony. You know this information. CSIS determined that there wasn't a threat well before the Emergencies Act was, was invoked. So no, all, it's all very the rele- frustrating. Yeah, all the relevant questions relating to... All the relevant questions actually related to the Emergencies Act that were asked by Brendan Miller. Mm-hmm. They all seem to have trouble answering 
them straightly today. You know, Brandon <laughs> often asked, um, what's the name of the second witness, a deputy uh, minister? Oh, wait, from the second testimony? Yeah, Transport, Transport Canada. Oh, uh, Michael... Michael Keenan. Keenan, yeah. Brandon Miller often asked Michael Keenan about uh, straight yes or no questions. And he could never give a straight yes or no answer. I think it tells a lot. But it reminded me of something. And I think we can find a clip uh, easily. We played it from yesterday's live stream. Yesterday, Brenda Lucky also had trouble answering uh, Brendan Miller's question, <laughs> a question properly. She, she had trouble answering them. Brendan Miller would ask, him, would ask her questions specifically about the RCMP. And she had no clue how to answer them. But she was able to answer a virtue signaling woke question about how they are inclusive to BIPOC people, how they are inclusive to minority people. Yeah, and she was able, it was her lengthiest answer. Yeah, systemic racism in Canada. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, the, only, that's the only long answer that she was actually able to give. Yeah, at one point, I also recall um, she was being asked a question. It wasn't even by Brendan Miller. She was being asked a question, and you could tell she didn't like the direction it was going into, but it wasn't her job to say, where are we going with this? That's usually something that the lawyers will impose. Her counsel would impose if they believe that the line of questioning from the lawyer cross-examining her was out of line. And she herself said it. You remember this. Is that correct? Yeah, you remember yeah. that happening? I was very shocked. I was like, it's your job to be up there, provide your testimony and answer questions to the best of your ability. You've mm -hmm. answered nothing to the best of your ability. And that's been the most comprehensible thing that i can take away from this is is that we have a leader in policing in policing mm -hmm. that is so incompetent that she can't even answer questions directly i know we weren't really going to bring it back to that but like seriously no when I... you're only answering woke questions that promote an agenda mm -hmm. and you spend two minutes on it and and you could recall your bedtime but you could <laughs> recall who was at very specific meetings here we go we can take a look at this clip take a look and are you aware of dynamics of systemic racism and specifically anti-Indigenous discrimination in policing and responding to public order or emergency events? Um, as, as a result of the upper wash in regards to the upper wash report? Uh, no, just, just broadly within the RCMP. Are you aware of dynamics of systemic racism and policing of Indigenous peoples? We are uh, doing a lot of initiatives within the RCMP in regards to systemic racism. Uh, we've introduced some um, new courses that we've actually made available to all police agencies, uh, uh, Uniting Against Racism, um, Cultural Awareness and Humility courses, uh, providing, uh, we're updating our curriculums at our training academy. We've also have the blanket exercise that uh, is is at our training academy and that is available for all employees of the RCMP. And it's all about, uh, and we've reviewed our whole recruiting process to make sure there's uh, no systemic barriers uh, to uh, prevent uh, Indigenous people, but also the BIPOC community in, into entering into the RCMP. In our recruiting, we're trying to be more progressive in our proactive recruiters so that we would be able to um, have um, more Indigenous people in the RCMP because it's more representative of the communities we serve. And I think it would make our, would strengthen our organization to have more Indigenous people as police officers in the RCMP so we can connect with those communities. Uh, we do try to uh, um, uh, have people that, of, that are Indigenous to go to Indigenous communities that can assist us, but also, um, you know, we do have, 
a higher than average percentage in the government for Indigenous employees, but it's it's not something, it's not very high in general. It's at about 7%. And I think we need to have, uh, I think if we had a greater diversity within our organization, it would bode well for uh, uh, working in Indigenous communities, working uh, with Indigenous people on uh, protecting their, you know, rights and allowing them peaceful protest. Okay. <laughs> I haven't so, seen her give an answer that long throughout her whole testimony. Yeah, like we didn't even get through the whole clip <laughs> last night because as anyway, we didn't get through the whole clip last night if you saw that live stream. So you can see so blatantly that it was her, It's it's been her choice in how she answers questions. I don't believe for a second that this woman is forgetting basic information. I don't, I don't think for a moment that she's not able to recall basic details um, from her day-to-day -day as a police officer, as the commission of the RCMP, but she will go on for more than two minutes consecutively to talk about another thing that promotes the woke left agenda. What is your take on that? Well, you know, to the contrary of you, I do believe that she's able to because she's incompetent and we saw that she's incompetent. <laughs> so I don't have any trouble believing her when she says she doesn't remember anything because mm -hmm. it's not surprising. But one thing that she said before, you know, it shows how weak she is as a leader. For sure. And here's one thing. She answered my question, my questions. She answered media questions. She yes. answered tough questions. Yeah. Justin Trudeau, my favorite minister, Omar Al-Jabra, are not even able to answer simple questions by rebel news but That's this true. weak leader was able to answer our questions so what does this say about justin trudeau you know <laughs> i don't even have an answer because all of this is honestly so crazy like you would never think that this would actually be happening right now like in a perfect world you have um politicians that I mean, why do you become a politician? Is it not to serve? Mm -hmm. Is it not to be of service to the people that you are supposed to govern? I think that involves talking to them, um, but they do their job so well that they don't only not answer our questions as rebel media, but they also just won't talk to protesters that go against the narratives that they're promoting. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about Al Jabra, there's a clip that I sent later on, <laughs> the clip number eight. Al Jabra was brought up uh, during Brandon Miller's mm -hmm. um, cross examination. I think that he pronounced. Omar Al-Gabra's name properly during his cross-examination. I think he did. He had some trouble with Marco Mendocino, but I think he pronounced Omar's name properly. Um, yeah, Al-Jabra came up during the cross-examination. Clip number eight. Let's take a look at that. Clip number eight. All right, well, well, it's one of the clips that I sent. Oh, well, the following people, and that's to Minister uh, Mendocino, the Minister of Public Safety. You know who he is? Uh, yes, I do. And he also forwards it to Minister Algara, the Minister of Transport. I know Minister Algara well. Right. And he's the <laughs> minister that you report to. Yes. Right. And he didn't pass this on to you? Um, uh, to my memory and knowledge, he did not pass this on to me. Right. And, but, you know, as the Deputy Minister of Transport, as the highest. Uh, essentially a civil servant within that ministry, isn't this sort of information something important that you should know? Uh, I think you have to understand the context. Transport Canada, the Minister of Transport gets a massive amount of correspondence. I get a massive amount of correspondence on something like this on an exchange between um, an MP 
and the minister, I may or may not uh, see it depending upon, um, depending upon the nature and the context. That's all organized our government is. That's how organized our government officials are. This man is basically the, the second one right after Omar al-Jabra. He's, he's the highest ranking official, one of the highest ranking yes, officials after minister, Omar al-Jabra. Yes. And Omar al-Jabra did not provide him important information about transportation. And guess who he is? The deputy minister of transportation. transportation yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, as a deputy minister, that's supposed to be your right hand man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in that position, you're really there to be of assistance in any way, shape or form that you can to the minister that you are serving under. And uh, when information like that isn't passed on, that's like that's like not being CC'd on like any relevant info of uh, that pertains to yourself. It's mm -hmm. like. It's like a, an email chain going on at work and you are exclusively cut out of a, a huge decision going forward. It, it's really, it's either done blatantly um, out of out of respect to their disorganization or <laughs> they're just that disorganized. Mm -hmm. and I really don't know which is worse at this point, really. Yeah, well, that, that's my thing as well. Is it incompetency or malice? Is it incompetency or just bad intentions? Well, the, the ministers, it's like they're running a cool kids club. You know, you have yeah. all the ministers that are just like, ha, ha, like laughing. They're like, look at what we're doing. This is great. They're the ones that this is all pointing to. And again, mm. I sound like a broken record when I say this, but really we've gotten down to the bottom of it. Every intelligence agency in Canada has provided their input on the fact that the mm -hmm. Emergencies Act was not necessary to invoke, not at all. In fact, there were so many different degrees um, in which the policing institutions could have gone and um, uh, already used the tools that were within their legislative powers and they hit the panic button. So it's, mm -hmm. I think it's more, I lean towards malice. Really, you can't be in those yeah. positions and be that ignorant. There's no way. There's really no way. Is there? How is this happening? I don't know. I try, I try, I try to keep a, a, a nice, nicer mind than yours. Yeah. I try, I try to assume <laughs> that it's not malice. I try to assume huh. that they do have the best intentions or just the ministers. Well, the ministers, Brenda Lucky, deputy minister. No, I no, I'm talking about like the, the liberal ministers, like yeah. Aljabra, Medicino, men. Mendicino. Mendicino, yeah. Mendicino. And uh, he didn't pronounce Al, Al Gabra's name right. I think he said Al, Al Jabra. Yeah, Something but like the that. other guy retorted the same. Yeah, anyway, it's always very funny. All right, let's take a look at clip number six um, of our great government officials talking about the Kuz border blockade and how, according to them, it was one of the biggest things to affect the economy of Canada, even though we were all locked up for two years due to who? Justin Trudeau. Let's take a look at that. The concerns you outlined, Mr. Keenan, about the, about Canada's reputation and attracting investment, was that um, more top of mind than the importation of critical goods? What, what was most important in, in your mind at that time? I think both were really important. The importation of critical goods is a here and now problem that puts the health and safety of Canadians at risk. And uh, the, the investment confidence is a future economic prospects issue that puts future um, really uh, good, high-paying jobs at risk. And both of them are important. The concerns I don't know if you remember, but when, when this started, when this whole thing started, and even back in February, Christian Freeland said that due to the Freedom Convoy, due to the blockades, foreign investor would have trouble trusting Canada as a place to invest their money. 
she basically just said the exact same thing. I didn't notice it until now. She said that. But in my opinion, I think that blocking your whole country, locking down your people for two straight years is even worse for the economy than blocking those those border crossings for merely two weeks. And we saw that even if some of them were blocked, other ones had a had a bigger influx than they usually do. So even though one was blocked by and, and the influx was reduced by eight percent, yeah, all of the other rounds around it got up. Well, that's just the thing, right? So I yeah, no one is talking about those things. Like we we shouldn't even be getting into these details again if we're here to just understand if um if we if the emergencies act should have been invoked or not. But when they're bringing in all these other details, it does draw the mind towards even questioning further than that. So when you bring up the fact that obviously mm-hmm. there would have been large economic impact impacts from locking down a country for two years, I mean, myself alone, uh, the amount of uh, small businesses that I personally know that closed mm-hmm. down, um, again, who stayed open? The large change cor- corporations like Walmart, we had um, uh, Costco's, mm-hmm. um, liquor depots, etc., that all remained open. And so at that point, (laughs) at that point, there's bound to be some sort of uh, implication, but they're not talking about those things. They're just trying to point fingers and it's really, really ridiculous. Yeah, totally. You know, before I would say that the ones that I am the most excited to hear about is the liberal cabinet. Before I would say, you know, the one I'm extremely excited to hear about Justin Trudeau. I'm extremely excited to hear about Christian Fuel, and I think in a certain way, I still am. But the ones now that I'm truly the most excited to hear about are CSIS officials. Mm-hmm. Because everyone is putting the blame on CSIS. Oh, well, they are the ones that could have known. They are the ones that should have known. They are the ones that could have they told did. us. And they said it. Yeah. Point blank in the beginning. And I'm sure the cabinet is going to say the same thing. But when we hear CSIS officials say their testimony, and some of it will be blocked due to the uh, in-camera ex parte a ruling by Commissioner Rulo. Mm-hmm. But when we hear them, we will actually see, okay, well, was it a threat to national security? Was it actually necessary yeah. to invoke the Emergencies Act? Because they're the ones that can tell you if it's a threat to national security. You know, for those that don't know who, what CSIS is, I did a video about it recently, but basically CSIS is the same thing as the FBI in the United States, but CSIS is in Canada. Is Canada's anti-terrorism agency essentially yeah, the largest Canadian intelligence yeah. agency that we have? Mm-hmm. So they're truly the ones who are going to be able to say whether or not the Emergencies Act was necessary well, due to it, the convoy. And again, they did, like they did, and we heard this very early on. Uh, mm-hmm. The the OPS, the OPP, the RCMP, they all received the same intelligence reports. The OPS, OPP, WPS, all of the policing agencies that were at the time on the ground, um, they all reported the same thing as well, that they didn't think that there was an actual threat. Um, yeah, we're seeing in the evidence. Well, yeah, and there wasn't a threat at the, the mm-hmm. blockades, the borders. 360, the whole thing, all the way around. There was no threat that could be detected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's actually incredible when you think about it that we have all of these witnesses. I think today's the first time that I actually caught on that. We have all of these witnesses that keep putting the blame on CSIS, mm-hmm. that keep saying, well, it's CSIS' responsibility to know that. Why don't we just cut the inquiry from six weeks to one week and just interrogate all of the CSIS official. Why don't we just do that? No, no, you get you get the top, <laughs> you get the one day. So all you need is one day. You get the, the top rated uh, CSIS representative in the mm-hmm. same room as Justin Trudeau, Mendocino, Mendocino, 
and algebra and um boom you figure it out right then and there because i think all direction is going to point towards those mm -hmm. ministers not CISA. CISA said it from the beginning they did their job they instructed mm -hmm. the police the best of their ability as far as i'm concerned that's my opinion let us know in the comments if you think differently but through the evidence we saw that they were able to provide the intel that was needed and that was necessary ministers still chose different didn't even instruct their deputy ministers that, on what yeah, that's was what i was going to say to you. so boom <laughs> yeah right there a lack yeah. of communication i think another mandate from the commission i think a lot of people forget about this including myself sometime. Another mandate from the commission is to provide suggestions on how to act better in the future. So I look forward to seeing the suggestions that are that come out of uh, Justice Rouleau's um, decision at the end. We're going to see if, uh, if he remains impartial again. He has so far, but the more that we get into this, you guys, the more we realize that we've been going in circles. And if mm -hmm. we can figure that out, I am certain that Commissioner Rulo has also figured that out. So, of course, let's see what he says. Let's see what he does going forward. Yeah, and CISA is going to be next week. So next week is going to be interesting. We have the cabinet ministers, and we have CISA. So we're sure we're going to be this week. For but... Last, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Goodness. No, for sure. <sighs> All right. Well, we're already an hour in. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Just one announcement before we leave. This Saturday, Rebel News live event in Toronto. Yeah. Um, if you want to meet Tamara Leach, if you want to meet Sheila Gunreed, a lot of other personalities, Derek Feldebrand, um, and a lot of other rebels, you can go to rebelnewslive.com and you can purchase your tickets for this Saturday, November 19th. And not only this Saturday, but next weekend. Next weekend on the 26th yeah. of November, we'll also be in Calgary where there will be another Rebel Live event being held there. Again, you can also purchase those tickets. You'll be able to hear from your favorite people. Again, Tara, Tamara Leach will be there. We've got people from Rebel News. We have even uh, Andrew Lawton from the True North, as well as our friend, uh, the Western Standard, Derek Fildebrandt. Um, I will be at both events. We'll be there mm -hmm. uh, in Toronto as well this weekend coming up. So we hope to see you there. Of course. Yeah, definitely look forward to seeing you there. If you guys want to purchase your ticket, it is rebelnewslive.com. Super easy, rebelnewslive.com. Thank you for being here, Celine. Thank you to Eva, who's already left. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing all of you guys tomorrow. Freedom in the year 2022 for me, folks, it means the return of Rebel Live. Now, Rebel Live is an annual event we used to put on before the man, or was it the COVID Karen, made us shut it down during the pandemic years. It is a freedom fun fest, if you will. All the freedom fighters you've grown to know and love over the years, they're going to be speaking at the Toronto and Calgary events. The Toronto event is on November 19th, that's a Saturday, and it will feature the likes of Dr. Julie Panessi, Archer Pawlowski, Tamara Leach, and all your favorite rebels, including yours truly, I'll be the MC that day, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and of course, the big boss man himself, Ezra Levant. Now Saturday, November the 26th, we're bringing Rebel Live to Calgary, and uh, those aforementioned speakers will be there, and Sheila will be the MC for that event. You don't want to miss it. It's an all-day freedom fest. I know there are certain would-be conservative leaders that think freedom is overrated you know we don't think that way i don't think you think that way so if you want to get a ticket please go to the website they are going fast go to rebelnewslive.com that's rebelnewslive.com 
get your orders in, and as Billy Redlines used to say, folks, don't you dare miss it. Don't you dare miss this one.